0: Coming up on Philosophy Talk, utilitarianism, the greatest good for the greatest number. Which good? For whom? For the number of what? It's all about the greater good. The
1: greater good. How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. Shut it! If it makes you.
2: Socrates
0: Dissatisfied is worth more than a pig satisfied. Can the Utilitarian explain that you don't have the right to violate my rights, however much good it may do for others? Our guest is Wayne Sumner from the University of Toronto. Utilitarianism, coming up on Philosophy Talk, after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk. The program that questions everything. except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, utilitarianism. The concept that it's right to do what results in the greatest good for the greatest number. So, Ken, that makes utilitarianism an ethical theory, a theory about what one morally
2: ought to do, about what makes acts right and wrong. So as an ethical theory, what's so special about utilitarianism?
0: Well, the most distinctive thing about it is that it's what philosophers call a consequentialist theory. It's a form of consequentialism. Oh, well, thanks for clearing that up. What in the world does that mean? Well, look at the way I formulated it, John. An act is right if it results in the greatest good for the greatest number. You, You do something, and as a result of what you do, In combination with the circumstances in which you do it, things happen. Those are the consequences of what you do. And for utilitarianism, the rightness or wrongness of your act depends on and entirely on those consequences, hence consequentialism.
2: Uh, I don't know about that. My grandmother uh, always told me, let your conscience be your guide. Now, your conscience is inside of you. And what it, it tells you what to do prior to your doing anything. I, I guess my grandmother was a non-consequentialist.
0: Well, I guess she was. And, you know, she had good company, like Immanuel Kant. He thought it was the nature of the intention of an action, which precedes the action, not the consequences that make it right or wrong.
2: Okay, okay. So we're going to talk about utilitarianism, and that's consequentialist, and I know what that, that means. But I, I still think there's some big issues with the way you define utilitarianism.
0: So what are those, John?
2: Well, utilitarianism, you say, is do the greatest good for the greatest number. There's two obvious questions. What's good and number of what? Start with the second question. Number of humans, just existing humans, or do ones that have yet to be born need to be taken into account? And if it's not just humans, uh, I mean, why
0: should it just be humans? I mean, how about toads? How about how about horses and dogs? Well, you asked some excellent questions, there, John. I mean, look, maybe the greatest good for the for existing humans would be one big long ecology destroying party, you know. But then, if we take future generations or maybe all other animals into account, the utilitarian calculation would be quite different in those two cases.
2: Okay. And now how about the other question? What what good are we talking about?
0: Pleasure. Philosophical insight, happiness, wealth? Another great question. Yeah, you're full of great questions today, John. The founder of utilitarianism, the English philosopher Jeremy Bentham, pretty much took the good to be simple bodily pleasure. But the more pers- most persuasive utilitarian, his godson John Stuart Mill, said that wasn't right, and I think Mill was right about that. There were higher and lower pleasures. Okay, that's
2: that's all coming back to me, right? Mill was the one who said it was better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. Well, Ken, looks like we got plenty to discuss.
0: And we'd like our listeners to join in this discussion. The number is 1-800-525-9917. That's 1-800-525-9917. Or you can email us at comment at philosophytalk.org. We'll get started by examining the essence of utilitarianism, the arguments
2: for it, and the different types of utilitarianism.
0: Then we'll see where utilitarianism leads us if we decide to live by it, when we consider civil liberties, animal rights, the environment, abortion, and other ethical issues.
2: Finally, we'll look at the objections to utilitarianism, especially the problem of rights. For example, no matter how many people may benefit from convicting a certain innocent man, If you're on the jury, it still seems wrong to vote for conviction if you know he's innocent.
0: But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Julie Napolin, jumps right into the question of whether animals should be brought into the utilitarian equation. She files this report.
1: When most people use the word utilitarian, they mean something really functional, like a good piece of furniture.
3: It is almost uh, a put-down. It basically means, oh, it gets the job done, but it's nothing more than that. It's not very nice or it's unpleasant.
1: Stephen Hansen teaches philosophy and bioethics at the University of Louisville.
3: That's not entirely inconsistent with utilitarianism, but it isn't what the word originally was meant to mean. The notion of utility basically meant social good, and we must, if we're gonna be good people, consider that across the whole of society.
1: And when utilitarians say the whole of society, they don't only mean people.
3: There is not a qualitative distinction between humans and animals in uh, utilitarian theory, just like there isn't a qualitative distinction between humans and animals on the standard picture of evolution.
1: Animals get included in the picture because utilitarian ethics are so strongly based in emotion and sensation.
3: If you're calling happiness one of the things that are good in the world, then it seems just obvious that you have to consider at least higher animals in the moral calculus. To consider animals as having moral standing under a utilitarian schema simply means the things that are valuable in humans are also valuable in animals insofar as those animals can have them.
4: As a whole, I think we still don't see farmed animals as having value of having moral worth of having the ability to suffer.
1: Kim Sterla is the founder of Animal Place, a sanctuary for rescued farm animals in Vacaville, California. After Hurricane Katrina, they rescued 2,000 hens from a factory farm. The chickens had never been out of a cage and didn't even know how to spread their wings.
4: They didn't use any of their space. They just clustered on top of one another because they would never had space. And then I'll never forget one when they were all clustered together. But one was pretty bold after being there just a few days, or maybe a week. She went on the other side of the pen and she just did this sprint, flapping her wings and, you know, clucking really loudly and coming back. And then another one would just jump straight up in the air and back
1: down. And so they all of a sudden were experiencing that they could move. Since founding Animal Place in 1989, Sterla's main goal has been to educate people. I
4: love giving tours out of the sanctuary. When the public comes, You know, invariably, I get the question, well, do they know their name? Well, of course they know their name. Running a sanctuary where it's not dogs and cats that we rescue, but it's pigs and cows and chickens and turkeys, those are individual species that the public generally doesn't have the opportunity to interact with. It it does push the envelope to ask people to increase that circle of compassion, you know, beyond your family beyond your country, you know, beyond your species and really try to have, have compassion for, for all.
1: Stephen
3: Hansen. To to pay attention to something that goes beyond the individual, to something that goes beyond me is I think one of the hallmarks of moving from an egoistic way of thinking about things and moving to a moral way of looking about things. And once you've taken that step, then there are ripple effects all over the
0: place.
4: There's not a pig alive that doesn't love a belly rub.
1: Animal Place is one corner of the world trying to realize the utilitarian dream of happiness for the whole.
4: What motivates me to continue is faith in humankind that we will change, that we'll see the beauty and the complexity of all species, and hopefully from that increased awareness have an increased of compassion. And of course, the ultimate goal we're, we're striving for is, is a change of behavior.
1: For Philosophy Talk, I'm Julie Napolin.
0: Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.